This week, the province of Ontario released their changes to the health and physical education curriculum. All these changes have to do with sexual education. And there are concerns, of course, and mostly they have to do with not just the content, but with the age appropriateness of what is being taught. Here's what I think. It is my job as a parent to teach my kids everything when it comes to issues of morality. That is not the job of a teacher in a secular school. That teacher can and should teach them appropriate body part names uh, about reproduction and about sexually transmitted diseases, for example. I should have those conversations with my kids, but it is perfectly appropriate for these conversations to happen in the classroom as they pertain to lessons that have to be learned, like math. Where the line is blurred is when it comes to questions of morality, where we may not agree on what's right and what's wrong. Is masturbating healthy for you? What defines marriage? Does sexual activity belong only within the context of marriage? These are all moral questions, and a teacher should not be teaching anything about this as if it was dogma or scientific truth any more than a teacher should be teaching my kids that they should or should not eat meat. It's always a gamble with teachers, as they will undoubtedly teach everything based on their own beliefs and opinions. But when these moral teachings are embedded in the curriculum, that's when we have a problem. If we want to keep religion out of the classroom, then don't just keep Christianity out of the classroom, but also any other moral beliefs, because those who profess them can be just as dogmatic as religious extremists. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro. Welcome to another all-new Salt and Light Hour that you're listening to either over the internet or on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. You can also listen to the Salt and Light Hour on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, the Baraga Radio Network, the Lamb Radio Network, WJTA Holy Family Radio in Ohio, and on the relevant radio network. The Salt and Light Hour is also now on the Salt and Light Roku channel. If you'd like to learn how you can get Salt and Light on your Roku, visit us at saltandlighttv.org. Today, Sister Marie Paul Curley returns to talk about a film about love, and that's in about 15 minutes, just after our news and Andrew's Saint of the Week. In our second half hour, we'll be speaking with Jerry Gallipo of World Library Publications. We spoke with Jerry at the end of last year about his work in Catholic publishing. Jerry is a liturgical expert and has just released a book about cultivating a baptismal spirituality. This is perfect for Lent, and he'll tell us why in about half an hour. And after that, we'll end the program by speaking with our featured artist this week, Matthias Michael. You may recognize him as the winner of the very first NCYC's Top Talent Contest. Matthias is now a singer-songwriter in his own right, and so we're very excited to be speaking with him today. Matthias's first album is I Believe, released after his Top Talent win, and since it's Lent, it's appropriate to begin with his rendition of Were You There?
That was Matthias Michael with Where Are You There from his album, I Believe. And we're going to be speaking with Matthias at the end of the program. And in about 10 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. But first, Stefan is here with our news. And uh, Stefan, uh, I, I, I started the program by giving my personal thoughts about uh, uh, some of the concerns that, that many parents have about the amended, can I say amended, the additions to the Ontario curriculum to health and physical education, but you have more details. Can you bring us up to date? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this week, the Ontario government unveiled its new health and physical education program, which includes a strong component of sexual education. And this is largely a rehash of a document that was put out in 2010 uh, by a previous Liberal government. Uh, and it basically, the major criticism there is that it's a particularly graphic uh, sexual education program uh, which focuses on really bringing uh, content that either you'd seen higher grades to lower grades or new content that 
uh, a lot of people would argue really doesn't belong in the classroom. Right. So, so a lot of it has to do with the uh, age appropriateness of the what is being taught, and some people think that some some of these uh, things should not be taught in the classroom. Period. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it, it really is a fundamental shift. The the Ontario sexual education curriculum has not been updated since 1998, uh-huh. uh, and and this is really a major overhaul. The last time, uh, the only reason this didn't go through was because of the fact that the parents and religious leaders and community leaders really stood up to the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they are certainly standing up this time, uh, it appears as though the government uh, under Premier Kathleen Wynne is resolute uh, in ensuring that this is in the classrooms in September. Uh, but really one of the major concerns leading up to this, in addition to the content, is how the consultation process went forward. Exactly. And it was it was a very cloak-and-dagger uh, kind of consultation where... The government said they were consulting parents, but no parents really seem to know mm-hmm. anything about a consultation. So exactly, uh, exactly. you have a real you have a real standoff between parents and the government on this matter. Now, where does the Catholic Church fall? Because uh, uh, some of our listeners will know Ontario has a cath a publicly funded Catholic school system. So how does that affect the Catholic schools? Yeah, well, the uh, the Catholic schools uh, work closely with the uh, with the with the Catholic bishops here in Ontario. Uh, the, the Assembly of Catholic Bishops of Ontario, and its president, Cardinal Collins of Toronto, uh, he issued a statement uh, not too long after the uh, after the curriculum was released, essentially saying that while the, the Catholic schools need to comply with the curriculum, the documents are going to be modified by, I believe it's the Institute of Catholic Education, to ensure that they are appropriate for a Catholic environment, for a Catholic classroom, and do so within the teaching of the Church. And he also indicated that this has been a tradition that the Church has, uh, in Ontario, has been involved with for over 30 years now with a, with a family life program that is appropriate for a Catholic classroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sure we're going to hear more uh, more about this story, but I don't want you to go before you give us a bit of an update. There were some more Christians that were have been abducted in Syria, correct? Do you have any news? This is, this is true, yeah. We, we found out the other day that uh, the Islamic State uh, in Syria has raided a number of uh, villages and abducted over 90 people. Some reports are saying as high as 150. Uh, and at this point, the whereabouts and the well-being of those Christians is currently unknown. So coming off the heels of what happened in Libya to the 21 Coptic Christians uh, being uh, executed, there's a lot of concern in place, especially from the local bishop, who, uh, while he's certainly hopeful that this, that this doesn't end the same way, uh, he said there's an unfortunate precedent that has been set in the past. Yeah, another story that I'm sure we'll hear more and more as it develops. Uh, thank you, Stefan Slovak, for your updates today. Our news producer, Stefan Slovak, be sure to watch him Mondays to Thursdays for his daily updates on Perspectives on Salt and Light TV. You can also watch it daily on Roku and on demand at saltandlighttv.org. Hi, this is Ben Apolinar, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me at deaconpedro.com and also on Facebook. Just uh, search for Deacon Pedro, and my Twitter handle is at GM. And now it's time for 
Saint of the Week with Andrew Santo. Deacon Pedro, happy Lent. Happy Lent to you, my friend. Oh my goodness, man. Like uh, the day before Ash Wednesday, I had to get that uh, that special A word out of my vocabulary. Uh, yes. Because I oh. can't say it for another 40 days. I have to wait That's for the great g- celebration of Easter. Except so. it doesn't mean we cannot praise the Lord during Lent. So oh, you can still well, praise you know, the Lord without saying the A word. What is that? You can still praise the Lord without saying the A word. Absolutely, absolutely. But that A word comes Save with it for a, a little bit of yes. emphasis and a little bit of oomph. So I'll just have to, you know, uh, wait till Easter. So, but so, Lent is going well, and hopefully Lent is going well for you and for our uh, for our listeners. Absolutely, and you have a saint for absolutely. us. Absolutely. Uh, I mentioned that we would look at some Lenten saints that yes. could uh, help us on this uh, faith journey that we are on these next 40 days. Uh-huh. And considering, um, on a more serious note, considering the... Uh, the problems that our Christian brothers and sisters are facing um, in the Middle East right now. Right. I think it'd be really, really good if we could look at a Middle Eastern saint in particular. Uh-huh. Uh, and okay. with that being said, I'm talking about Saint Ephraim the Syrian. Okay, uh, yes. Who is a deacon. Yes. I, I, yes. I, I think you had known that, as well as a doctor of the church. Uh-huh. I'm okay. sure a lot so of people... Saint Ephraim the Syrian was born sometime around the year 306. Um, that's what we know in Nibesis. And Nibesis is a Syrian town which is located in modern-day Turkey. And with, you know, everything going on in the Middle East right now, we're, we're hearing a lot more about what's going on um, with um, everyone on the Syrian-Turkish border. So if you can picture that, Nibesis is a Syrian town which is located in modern-day Turkey. The church was suffering under the persecution of the Roman emperor at that time. And it was long believed that uh, Ephraim's father was a pagan priest interestingly enough. Uh-huh. But evidence from uh, his writings that we know of suggests that both his parents may have been Christians. Mm-hmm. So his father may have converted later in life. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Ephraim was baptized around the age of 18, and he may have been ordained a deacon at that very same time. Really? Uh, that's what we have written down. And since one of the chief activities of a deacon, as you would know, my friend, is the preaching of the gospel, uh, St. Ephraim began to write deeply theological um, songs, uh-huh. theological hymns, and uh, some biblical commentaries. Mm-hmm. In his lifetime, uh, throughout his life, he may have written as many as two to three million lines. Wow. And to this day, about three to four hundred of his hymns still survive. Uh-huh. So fleeing westward from the Persians, uh, who at that time in, in our world history were ravaging Turkey, uh, St. Ephraim settled in uh, the town of Edessa, which is in southern Turkey. Right. Um, you know, he, it was there that he was still able to uh, write hymns, especially defending the teaching of the Council of Nicaea against what we know were the Arian heretics, and uh, they were very, very influential in Edessa at that time. We know, uh, history tells us, that he died uh, looking after victims of the plague in 373. So it was, a, it was a little bit of a short life for him. So um, he died tending to plague victims in 373. Now, um, there's a special prayer that I want to kind of bring to our attention. The special prayer of St. Ephraim the Syrian is really little known among Roman Catholics. I kind of was asking the parish staff here if they had known about this prayer that I had found, and they didn't know so much. So I thought it'd be kind of really good to introduce this um, to our listeners. Um, and it's an important prayer for Eastern Rite and Eastern Orthodox Christians during Lent. Um, so at the end of each verse, um, it's traditional to kneel or to make a prostration. Um, and we all know what a prostration is, you know, when you kneel yeah, about, and yeah. place your head to the floor. And after the prostration, you should arise um, before saying the next verse. 
So um, Eastern Christians, we know, say this prayer, say this particular prayer that I think we should pray together several times throughout the day during the season of Lent. Good time to okay, pray this. Okay. And it's a good prayer for Roman Catholics, I think, to adopt as well. So here we go. Here's the prayer to, of St. Ephraim the Syrian. O Lord and Master of my life, keep, me, keep from me the spirit of indifference and discouragement, lust of power and idle chatter. Instead, grant to me, your servant, the spirit of wholeness of being, humble-mindedness, patience, and love. O Lord and King, grant me the grace to be aware of my sins and not to judge my brother. For you are blessed now and ever and forever. Amen. That's beautiful. St. Ephraim the Syrian. Feast day, June the 9th. Yeah. I know he's... Uh, I know he's a little far off from right now, uh, but uh, I, I thought his story was very, very telling. Um, considering what's going on in the Middle East right now, um, you know, we have people being killed uh, just for being Christian, for goodness sakes. So um, St. Ephraim the Syrian is a, is, is a good beacon of light for us Roman Catholics on our Lenten journey, and is someone that maybe we should pray to uh, for intercession with everything going on uh, in the Middle East right now. Absolutely, that's that's very good. And we're going to take that prayer and we're going to put it on our website so you can find it easily because it is a beautiful, beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, and there's some uh, kneeling and prostrations to it. So um, if uh, still our listeners are looking for uh, a Lenten practice, maybe this is something to take up and consider. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Andrew. Have a great week. You too. Our Saint expert, Andrew Santos, is Youth Director at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Markham, Ontario. Hi, this is Donna Corey Gibson, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour, a ministry of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. Learn more at saltandlighttv.org. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Welcome back to the program, Sister... Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. It's so, good to be here. Yes. So in, in the, I guess, can we say there's a genre of Christian films? There's some uh, a couple new Christian films uh, that have been out and coming out. One of them uh, is about love and marriage, and I think many of our listeners maybe have not heard about it. This is true, and it, it deserves to be heard uh, uh, and talked about. It's, it's called Old Fashioned, uh-huh. and it's very much, it's not actually your typical Christian film in the sense that it's a little bit more of an independent-style film. Um, uh-huh. Independent films tend to have their own genre. They're very character-driven. Yes. Uh, they're less... They have a few more surprises in them often. Uh, they don't care as much about, you know, big, splashy Hollywood themes or endings. And uh, I think that really fits this film, uh, Old Fashioned. So it's an interesting film and because it's taking the Christian genre but doing a little bit more with it. You know, uh, not just uh, trying to tell a story, but perhaps in an artsy kind of way. Uh-huh. Uh, Old Fashioned seeks, I think, in a way to make an art, or seeks to show the art in being old-fashioned, which is kind of cool. Okay. Uh, it's, it's about a former frat boy named Clay, mm-hmm. who is a solitary owner of an antique shop um, in a small uh, hometown, and who is actually kind of laughed at for his eccentric views now on dating, marriage, and relationships. Uh-huh. So he's he's a very devout Christian who who's gotten very single-minded in his pursuit of right living, and it's it's he's he's just a little on the weird side, to be honest. Um, and then uh, his a free-spirited young woman drives into town because she runs out of gas, 
and decides to stay for a while. And her name, Amber, uh, she ends up renting a place, uh, an apartment from Clay, and she stays. Um, and, of course, immediately sparks fly between these two opposite people. Um, so in that way, it's very typical in getting off, you know, getting beginning in a film. Yeah. But once it starts going, it really, it's interesting because you're seeing these really two different characters. And the film, kind of the beauty of the film is it really takes its time with these people, mm-hmm. that they are, uh, they're really, they're both really quirky, they're both actually very wounded, and uh, they don't have a very typical relationship at all. Matter of fact, it's not dating through most of the first part of the film. Right. Um, but as as time goes on, the two really challenge each other because, you know, she's very drawn to the respect that he gives to her as a woman, and he's very drawn to her, although it t- I think it takes him a while to figure out why. Mm-hmm. Um, so the script has some really wonderful moments with a very, um, I don't know, some really cool and interesting things about respect for women, which you really don't see in films today, and also about honoring commitments and relying on the grace of God to be a loving and faithful human being. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's an independence kind of movie, so it has those weaknesses of being kind of a slow starting. But I will say this, the ending is really powerful, and it, it does a really good job building up to an ending, mm-hmm. uh, because both of the characters, uh, what haunts them from the past comes back, um, and, and in between their relationships. So they have to figure out what they're going to do, what what choice they're going to make. Uh, it's So it's a... It's kind of a cool, a cool little film, and well worth seeing, I think. And I hope that uh, Kristen films do a little bit more of the artsiness in a film like you know that that, that old fashioned does. So you you'd say that it's a it's a good script, it's a good story, it's well performed. Like it's it's not just a dogmatic film about what relationships should be. No, it does have a couple of preaching moments, and they end up they do end up falling flat. But most of the film is really about character, mm-hmm. um, which is refreshing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's quirkiness. Uh, is also refreshing. Uh, it's not that everybody has to be a certain way to be a Christian. And matter of fact, the Christian character in the film is just as flawed as everybody else. Right, and that's yeah, refreshing good. to see. Yeah. It needs to grow. So uh, it's definitely a film about redemption, and, and, and it does provo- provide some thought-provoking moments about what is a real relationship between a man and a woman, and what does that? What does it mean uh, to really date and and prepare for marriage? Good. So it's a film for the whole family. Yes. Good. All right. So old fashioned. It should be out. I don't think people rent DVDs anymore, but it'll be out on demand on Netflix uh, and various other places. Correct. Pretty soon. Yes. It's been in the theaters already, so it yes. should be coming out pretty soon. All right. Thank you very much, Sister Marie Paul. Sister Marie Paul Curley is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com. Also follow her at Sister M. Paul. Hi, this is Ben Walter. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can always find me either on Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. I love hearing from you, so write to me and tell me where you're listening from and if you like or don't like this show. If you're in our broadcasting area, our TV broadcasting area, be sure to tune in Sunday night for an all-new Witness program with Father Tom Rosica. This week, Father Tom speaks with Sister Marie Azzarello of the Congregation of Notre Dame. That's this Sunday, March 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it streaming live 
at saltandlighttv.org or also on Roku. If you miss it, you can also watch this interview and all witness interviews on demand at saltandlighttv.org slash witness. Here now is an excerpt of Father Rosica's conversation with Sister Marie Azzarello. Sister Marie Azzarello, thank you very much for coming to us from Montreal. Sister, the Congregation of Notre Dame, CNDs, is, is a wonderful congregation from Canada. Summarize for me in a nutshell Marguerite Bourgeois' dream and how that dream occupied your life and has is, is mobilized your life all of these years. I think she wanted to be present to people and in Mary she found her model and she lived that the whole of her life. When you look at her life, what strikes me is a bold, courageous woman who wasn't going to be locked up in a monastery, as important as that is, but she was responding to specific needs of her age. What were those needs? The needs were education. And even when she was in Troyes, she uh, was out educating the poor of Troyes. Once she had her own conversion experience, she, she really wanted to, or she thought she was called to the cloistered life. Right. But each time she tried, she was refused. She came here, and what always amazes me is that in the time she lived, after from 1653 until she died at 80 in 1700, she crossed the ocean seven times, and she always came back. We talk about charisms of religious congregations, perhaps another way to describe it, what's their brand, what's their mark, what's that distinguishing characteristic, that signature? Is there such a thing for CND sisters? If you look at Marguerite's life, it was always education in a variety of ways. I mean, she not only had children, she educated the women. When the Fiorois came, uh, the young women who were sent over become the wives and the mothers in the colony. She took them under her wing and uh, she took care of them and uh, said she had to prepare them to be wives and mothers because families were so important for the future. That was an excerpt from Witness with Father Tom Rosica. This week, Father Tom speaks with Sister Marie Azzarello of the Congregation of Notre Dame. Remember that if you're outside our broadcasting area, you can watch Salt and Light TV streaming live at saltandlighttv.org and also now on Roku in North America and in Ireland and England. Coming up in our second half hour, Jerry Gallipo of World Library Publications tells us how to cultivate a baptismal spirituality this Lent. And we speak with NCYC's top talent winner, Matthias Michael. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. A few months ago, we learned all about the Catholic publishing world from Jerry Gallipo, the chief publishing officer at the Chicago-based J.S. Pollock Company and their music division, World Library Publications. Jerry is an accomplished liturgist, author, and composer, and he has a new book. You have put on Christ, cultivating a baptismal spirituality. And to tell us how this baptismal spirituality can help us, particularly in our Lenten journey, I'm now joined by Jerry Gallipo. Jerry, welcome back to the program. 
Thanks so much, Deacon Pedro. It's great to be here. So I was telling you, I'll tell our listeners, just before we, we started the interview, I was telling Jerry that this book completely changed my whole Lenten approach. Um, and, I, and I do want to get to that. But before, so this is uh, an idea, and once we start talking about it, people will know what it is, uh, that is specific to people preparing for baptism, adults, RCIA, catechism, that kind of thing? Or, do you, or is this something that is for everyone? Well, I think it's 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 uh, it's quite interesting because it's a it's a fairly recent discovery, uh, not just for uh, catechumens or those the elect preparing for baptism, but for uh, for all Catholics uh, during Lent. If I could, for a second, yes. this is these are the things that I found striking when I was looking at the Vatican Vatican Council's Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. Yeah, <coughs> pardon me. It says that the season of Lent has a twofold character primarily by recalling or preparing for baptism and by penance. Because uh-huh. most Catholics, when you ask them, you know, what do you think, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you, when you say the word Lent? Penance, yeah. Penance, fasting. penitential practices, yeah. prayer, fasting, almsgiving. No one says baptism. recalling yeah. or preparing for baptism. And the Church documents, including the RCIA, are very consistent in naming this recalling baptism as the first thing, even before preparation for baptism. So in a sense, I, I think what the Church is saying, sure, there's a penitential character to the season, you know, there's no escaping that, but primarily what we're talking about here is a 40-day retreat or 40-day preparation time for what we're going to do, which I think is the most important thing that any Catholic does every year, is that annual renewal of baptism promises at the Easter Vigil. Okay, so let, let, let's let's unpack that a little bit. Sure. Um, it's for everyone. It's a recent discovery, not just by you, although it was just a recent discovery by you, but also I've discovered it, thanks to you, um, that Lent has a baptismal, a twofold character, equally important, not just penitential, but also, but also baptismal. Correct. What, what, what is it? So two questions. Why is our baptism so important, and why do we recall or renew our baptismal promises every year at Easter? Well, it's a, the first part of your question is great. Why is our baptism so important? I just finished uh, preaching a, a parish mission last night, actually, at a local parish here in Chicago, mm-hmm. and one of the evenings is completely dedicated to talking about recalling uh, or, or rediscovering the power and potential of our baptism. And most Catholics that I come in contact with just don't think about the fact that they're baptized. No. It's, it's an event that happened whenever... Um, I don't remember it, I know that it happened because I have a certificate that proves it, but the whole sense that, for me, well, it's not for me, for for the Church, our whole life as a Catholic is spent trying to figure out what it means to have been baptized, which is why I I, I came up with the title of the book, Uh You Have Put on Christ and Him You Have Been Baptized, is one of the the acclamations that can be used during the rite of baptism. Well, what does it mean that you have put on Christ. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I'm still trying to, I'm 56 years old, I'm still trying <laughs> to figure out what that means yeah. in my day-to-day life. Yeah, me too, me too. And that's essentially what happens at baptism. We say, you know, you, and that's what the white garment symbolizes too. You've put on, exactly. put on Christ. Um, in the book, you, you, you very eloquently say that um, many of us, and, and I'm, a, I'm an ordained minister, I would not be a deacon had I not been baptized. Exactly. Many of us wouldn't be doing what we're doing, wouldn't be sitting at Mass every Sunday had we not been baptized. So 
So that's the first part of the question, that our baptism is the beginning of the journey. That's where it all began. That's of importance. Why do we need to recall it, remember, remember it, and why do we do so as a community at every Easter vigil? Well, as much as we probably don't want to admit it, we Catholics uh, can be a very forgetful people. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> for me, I think that this annual remembrance of our baptism is exactly that. It's to remind ourselves through this 40-day period of fasting, but preparation for what happens at Easter when we celebrate the Paschal Mystery, Christ dying and rising, that we were configured to in baptism and continue to be configured to with our, with our weekend celebrations or daily celebrations of the Eucharist, right. that we forget who we are. You know, that the, the, the society is trying to tell us that we're something else, that we're supposed to be number one, that we we can find salvation in a big screen TV, or we can find salvation in our in our retirement plans. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and we get bombarded with all this stuff all the time, and sometimes we just kind of stray away from the centrality of what it is that God's doing in our hearts. And Lent is the time to prepare for that moment at Easter when we once again say no to the devil and yes to Christ. Okay, so is it is it simply as as kind of rem- reminding ourselves what we believe, or is it more than that? Because that renewal of the baptismal promises is basically saying, this is what I believe, and we're proud to profess it in, in Jesus Christ, right? So is it more than, than that? Because we do that at every Mass when we say the Creed. That's correct, but it reaches a, a, a real poignant a poignancy uh-huh. when in the context of the sacred triduum, the Holy Three Days, uh, you know, where we we celebrate and focus on what God accomplished in Christ, that we are called to, at that time, once again, you know, and when I say, say no to the devil and yes to Christ, we're answering a question that says, do you you reject Satan and all his empty show? And we're constantly surrounded by that empty show. Mm -hmm. And I really think... um, it's a moment, it, unfortunately, in many parishes that just kind of happens, and everybody's sprinkled with water, and then we move on. Mm-hmm. But if people are really uh, prepared for, and like you did in your homily, prepared for and catechized about the fact that we spend this time to remember who we are and to remember what God has done for us, it's kind of that, um, it's kind of that booster shot that, that that we need to remind ourselves that um, my life was changed forever on that day that, that I was baptized. Mm-hmm. But I have to, i, I got to remember that, because I, I'm not speaking for everybody, but boy, I get forgetful myself. Yeah, so do I. Now, you mentioned my homily, and, and just to tell our listeners, so I last weekend, the readings were perfect, because they were all about baptism, the, the covenant after the flood, and St. Peter actually says that the, the, the flood prefigures baptism. Um so 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 it's clear so uh, so when i read your book i was i was looking for these baptismal themes and all the prayers and the readings and i will continue to do that during lent how can the regular uh, you know the, the, a catholic sitting in the pews uh, uh take a take a more baptismal approach to their lenten journey well i think we can't certainly not erase what has been has become a part of what our Catholic DNA is, and that's yeah. the penitential character of the season. And I don't think yeah. there's any attempt by the Church to want uh, to step back from that at all. But mm-hmm. for me, when I discovered all of this stuff, uh, I, I think what, what we did in our parish, I went through my own personal journey one Lent, and, and as you said, listened to scriptures, the songs, the, the texts, the, 
the, the actual uh, official prayers that the priest was praying in a completely different way, listening for those baptismal themes, yeah. you know, light, water, salvation, all of that. And then what I did with our parish staff, and this is a critical thing, is to get a parish staff, to get the, the deacons and the priests, the bishop, on board yeah. with what this is all about, so that it, this is what we did the following, the following year, our catechesis and our approach and what we put in the parish bulletin and, uh, you know, what, what parishes put on their website, however they get information across, little pamphlets that they hand out at the beginning of Lent, that this, is, that, that this catechesis is happening so that the person in the pew becomes attuned to something different. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the way you talked about, the way you, you know, focused on Noah and, and the, the prefigurement of baptism in that, yeah. in that reading last week, those two readings last week, I think people just need to continue to hear that, because um, if we don't continue to hear it, we're not going to get it to sink into our hearts and minds. Yeah, and I think it, it, it's worth also mentioning that there isn't that, that the two strands are not in in opposition one from no. the other. The penance and baptism. I mean, they're they're all together. It's all we go into the water, we go into the desert, we 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 death to sin in the water. That's pen. I mean, that's all all the same thing. It's just maybe a slightly different option. Um, focus. Sorry. Now the little book. It's a little book. I read it literally in in I don't know an hour and a bit. Um, there, there's the part of the book that is uh, informational, educational, telling us what the church teaches, and then you also give us some resources. There's a reflection session. Uh, uh, there are. Uh, there's another. Uh, 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 I guess a script for a, for a little uh, reflection ritual that you can do with catechumens after they've been baptized. How, what is your hope as to how people can use this book? Well, I think for me it was important for me to write out my own story on how I rediscovered this power and potential. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, that that was the starting point for it, but then it, it just kind of unfolds into ways to try to address the question that you asked about parishioners in the pews, but just baptism in general. And this and this little service that I have in here is just a not necessarily just for catechumens after baptism, but I uh-huh. I suggest the parishes uh, once a year in the fall do something like this. Okay, that they bring people together or in small retreat groups or small groups. To just get people to to understand, you know, what this is all about. I had a woman at the parish mission last night. I asked I asked a general question. You know, what did this mission mean for you? And the mission was all focused on uh, living a sacramental life. And she raised her hand, and I, you know, pointed to her, and she had a lot of difficulty speaking because she was so emotional. And she said, "I just need to say how grateful I am that my parents loved me so much that they had me baptized, and I now know." how much that changed my life. Right. Yeah. No, and that, yeah, I, go I ahead. think just kind of hammering that home for people is, is, is just so important. Part, the, the, the book ends with uh, several suggestions for ways to actually cultivate this kind of baptismal spirituality uh-huh. in the parish. And, um, and these, are, these are things that I've tried and tested in my, in my parish experience and have found um, t- to be really helpful. Catholics are, um, can be hard to change or hard to, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, to, to help think differently. Although when, when you start talking about an event that happened that, that really changed the course of their lives with their own response and faith, of course, because mm-hmm. this is not magic that we're talking about, um, I, I've really found that people really come alive, especially those who have maybe settled into some malaise about their faith or, you know, this is what I do, I go yeah. to Mass on Sundays. 
Yeah, and Lent is a good time to kind of renew that, but you're certainly not saying that it's only Lent. We need to have this attitude throughout the year. Jerry, we have to leave it there, but I, okay. I'm, I'm very excited, and I hope you can tell that I'm very excited about this book, <laughs> and uh, and I hope our listeners are too, and uh, that they can start uh, you know, maybe using it during Lent and throughout the year in their own parishes. Great. Jerry Gallopo is Vice President and Chief Publishing Officer for the J.S. Pollock Company and its Music and Liturgy Division World Library Publications. Jerry is a popular parish mission presenter and retreat leader, author, and composer. His latest book, You Have Put on Christ, Cultivating a Baptismal Spirituality, is published by World Library Publications. You can learn more or purchase the book at wlp.music.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Matthias Michael, with Son of God and Son of Man, from his album, I Believe. The storm I'm stranded in Has caused my light to dim The wind is brought with it Fear and sin The wind awakened me Cry out to the sea Who is here to help me? He answered me He threw the pounding of the clouds I heard a voice pierce through the sound Peace be still, the voice had said The wind was choked
That was Matthias Michael with Son of God and Son of Man from his album, I Believe. For the last couple of years, the National Catholic Youth Conference, NCYC, has hosted a music talent contest, NCYC's Top Talent. And the winner gets to record their own album, thanks to the support of the Buzz label. And we've spoken about this in this program and featured uh, many of those singers on this program. The winner of the very first NCYC's Top Talent was a young man by the name of Matthias Michael. He's not so young anymore, and Matthias has developed into a singer-songwriter in his own right. And so we're very happy to be speaking with him today on our program. Matthias, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much, Deacon Pedro, for having me. It's a pleasure. So I, I didn't want to make it sound like you're super old now, because you're still young. You're still <laughs> <laughs> um, That first album was, what, two, two years ago, two and a half years ago or so. What You were at NCYC as a participant... So tell me a little bit about what was it growing up. Were you always, you're in a Catholic family. Was it always, you know, a very faithful growing up in your home? Yeah. Yeah, Mom and Dad taught us, you know, from the get-go, um, everything is God-centered. They did a really good job of not not really burning us out. Um, and, and, you know, in every way they could, they included, um, you know, the God center of everything we did, be it sports, be it music, anything we did. Um, it was all for the greater glory of God and uh you know, um, I witnessed witness my, my parents, you know, live that out every day. My dad was a, a musician in the Army, and my, oh, my yeah. mom was a, a school teacher. So uh-huh. um, they just, they led by example, absolutely. Right. Uh, 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 brothers, sisters? Yeah, I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, right. And uh, we're all good products of that, I guess. Okay. Uh, all very active and involved in our faith. So as, a, as an adolescent, you didn't go through a period of, uh, you know, this church thing just doesn't make any sense? Yeah, that kind of actually came for me, um, you know, towards the end of high school and college. And I never mm-hmm. necessarily completely strayed away from the church, but I was hit with a lot of tough situations. You know, I had a pretty easy growing up, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I didn't go through anything profound. I didn't have um, too many huge struggles. I was a really regular kid. Mm-hmm. So the first time I ever met some, some real struggles, you know, just uh, adjusting to college life, being away from home, my family, my good friends, went through a big yeah. breakup, and, you know, yeah. all those things kind of crashed down on you at once, and you don't know how to handle them. Yeah. Um, so that was my kind of first, um, I guess, life challenge, and a lot of a lot of music arose from that. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a big advocate for, you know, finding finding the light in the darkness, and, and for me, music was that. And uh, uh-huh. going through those um, struggles, you know, late high school, early college, that kind of... Um, inspired me to write more music. You know, this was a little bit after, I believe. So that's yeah. kind of where Song of Grace came in. No, and that's good. It's those moments that, that strengthen our faith and also, like you say, make us better artists. Um, Absolutely. Uh, uh, so, so was there a lot of music in the house growing up as well? Oh, my goodness, yeah, all the time. Like I said, uh, Dad, Dad was uh, he's actually a conductor for the U.S. Army Band for 26 years. Uh-huh. Um, so every weekend was a concert in the park or, um, you know, every afternoon was hanging out in the band hall, watching dad run rehearsals. Yeah. Um, you know, and then around the house, you had my sister who was a singer and my younger brother who loved music. And it was, it was, we were the music family. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, we did family masses. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole bit. So, uh, when did you start writing music or writing songs? I journaled since I was real little. Um, since elementary school, I always kept a journal of some sort, um, mm-hmm. and that kind of transformed, um, I guess, my passion for music and my passion for writing kind of um, 
naturally kind of uh, came together. Yeah. Um, so when I was in, I guess, middle school, the earliest I got my first um, laptop, and I remember getting on GarageBand and you know putting some tracks together, and yeah. that really excited me. So they, like I said, the two kind of naturally came together. I kind mm-hmm. of put the journal with the with the with the music writing. So that was that was probably in middle school at some point. So when you were at NCYC that year, that you ended up entering the the contest and and winning was that did you participate in the contest with one of your own songs yep yep it's a song it's actually on the album yeah and Um, it's it's, yeah it's called pick me up today right okay yes and then the songs so once you won i guess the the opportunity to record your own album did you have a lot of the songs or was the song songwriting part of that process with with south solo and the buzz label yeah, I was still really, really figuring out the whole songwriting thing. Um, it was nothing I did super seriously. Yeah. Um, the song I won with was was essentially a prayer that I just wrote down, and um, my mom was trying to convince me to do this contest thing, and I was reluctant, yeah. but I ended up doing it anyway. So I took that prayer that I wrote down, it's really poetic, yeah. and I just put some guitar chords over it, and that was my first real, um, I don't know, songwriting on the spot, I guess. Yeah. So when I won the competition, it was that all over again. It was like, all right trying to put out an album and it was like oh man i've never really you know uh developed the whole bank of songs so it was really a learning process for me that whole album was um uh-huh, you know, absolutely my first step into those waters and that was a really big help to me yes. throughout all that you know we, we covered a lot of the songs um and mm-hmm. he you know showed me the ropes if you will since then i've kind of branched off and uh, i guess matured a little bit um yeah. and again song of grace is is really a, a model for that um uh kind of a taste of what's to come. Yeah, right. And Song of so Song of Grace is your new single. I'm going to get to that in a second. So Sal Solo and I are good friends. He's been on this show many times. And and so his the Buzz label is dedicated to helping young Catholic singer-songwriters develop not just as songwriters, as performers, but also as ministers. So do you find that you that that's where you want to go with your life uh, in terms of doing music ministry or or the music that you do as ministry? Yeah, um, as I mentioned before, my songs are really, um, when it comes down to it, the prayers. Yeah. Um, and I feel that my passion in life is, is sharing these prayers um, with with young people um, and older people alike. Um, my big, you know, mission is to to go out and spread the word of God through these prayers, through these songs. Right. Um, so that's that's the direction I'm kind of going in now. And are you in college still right now? Um, I did a year of college at Mount St. Mary's University, um, and that was actually the year I was making, um, I believe, I was there. Uh-huh. And throughout that process, I figured out that I couldn't juggle both. <laughs> right. I had to kind of go all, yeah. all in. Um, so uh, after a lot of prayer and discernment, um, I decided that, that God wanted me to take that leap of faith, and um, right. I started doing ministry and music full-time, and there's okay. been really no looking back since then. So that's what you're doing now. So, Song of Grace, tell us about that song and how that came about. Yeah, Song of Grace, um, like I mentioned, after I Believe, I kind of went through this big transition period in, mm-hmm. in my life, um, just going through some struggles that I've never gone through before. And from that, a lot of, uh, the biggest fruit was a lot of new music. You know, it's been real late nights in the university chapel, just yeah. gotten away, just yeah. trying to put all my feelings on paper. And Song of Grace was one of those. Um, so, um it's essentially a prayer of surrender. You know, I think, um, especially nowadays in this generation, we fail to really just be sometimes, just to take some quiet time and to just listen. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always we're always yakking. Um, I'm guilty of it too. 
<laughs> yeah. So Song of Grace was really an encouragement uh, for people to, to kind of just open their ears and, and silence their minds for just a little bit every day um, and surrender to God in that way. Right. So, And we're going to play Song of Grace at the end of the program. So um, just before we do that, uh, you're, uh, you're doing ministry, you're, you're, you're doing speaking engagements, you're uh, writing music. So are you working on a new album? Is something coming down the pipes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We just um, actually finished up another song uh, last week, which will be used as the the theme song for uh, an organization called Catholic Art Work Camp. Oh, um, really? This year's, yep, this year's theme song, um, we just got done with it. Um, nice. So that will be included on the album that's soon to come. Um, we're still kind of feeling around for a release date, but we're definitely uh, in the works on the new album. Okay, nice. So make sure if there are any other singles, you send them this way and we'll play them. Um, so new album in the works, uh, lots of uh, ministry plans. Uh, it's been great speaking to you, Matthias, uh, uh, meeting you, I guess, over the, over the air. Uh, yeah, totally. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. You can learn more about Matthias Michael at his website, mmichaelmusic.com we're going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily and here now is that song that we were just speaking about Matthias Michael's new single Song of Grace Let me fall on you when I am weak when the world has brought me to my knees there's nothing that this voice can speak these tears are my surrender I've built a house on broken ground Oh ashes, ashes, it all falls down My walls are shattered at the sound Of my father calling me home Father, wash my red hands Make them pure like you are, O Lord I love you I surrender everything Yes, I love you Lord, I give you all my Stand in between you and the path I'm supposed to choose Wake me up and knock me down Let the song of grace resound We're listening to Matthias Michael with Song of Grace and that will take us to the end of this program. Remember that if you tuned in late, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted music all day long on our four online music Salt and Light radio stations, which are made possible thanks to the wonderful support from artists like Matthias Michael and publishers like The Buzz Label. So go to our website and learn how you can listen to online or on the go on your mobile devices. You can learn all about Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation, how you can purchase our documentaries and watch our programs at saltandlighttv.org. You can also go to that same web page to find out how you can add Salt and Light to your Roku. Remember, you can always reach me, Deacon Pedro, through Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. 
and you can let me know what you think about what you hear on this program and if there's something else you'd like to hear on this program. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. This program is completely free thanks to donations. So thank you for considering us when you're making your charitable contributions. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. I've never heard, I've never heard.